welcome to Cybersecurity Magnified with Braxton Grant Technologies, where candid cybersecurity conversation meets tactical and applicable advice. Investigate with our experts on the latest in the cyber world, including security best practices, compliance guidance, and all things cloud adoption. Thanks for joining the conversation. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cybersecurity Magnified. My name is Krista, your podcast host, and I'm joined by Josh, one of our cybersecurity engineers here at Braxton Grant. Um, So this is our first podcast episode, and we are really excited to be sharing some of our expertise in a new way with some of our engineers in the field uh, working with customers every day. Um, So Josh, why don't you give us a little bit of background on um, how long you've been with Braxton Grant and in the industry of cybersecurity. Sure. Uh, First off, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited today to talk about uh, cybersecurity and compliance in general. Um, Yeah, so I've been working here at Braxton Grant for the last five years. I've been working in IT and cybersecurity for about uh, eight to nine years now. Um, My experience spans, you know, everything from technical expertise in firewalls, teaching courses, uh, working on government sector contracts, uh, and now I'm on my way to working with companies to help with NIST 800-171 and CMMC compliance to help get them in shape and prepared for uh, assessments in the future. Awesome. So for our first couple of episodes, we're going to be focusing on just that, the NIST 800-171 um, and compliance and uh, getting all of that up to speed. Um, so we're going to be covering different things as far as NIST compliance and what that means for your security environment. Um, so today, just breaking the surface of what NIST 800-171 and CMMC compliance means. Um, so if that's something that you've been trying to do some research on, um, then this is the podcast for you. So first things first, Josh, give us some background on what NIST SB 800-171 is and why it's been such a hot talking point recently. Sure. So uh, NIST 800-171 is a set of controls that were put out by the uh, NIST um, government agency um, for the protection of unclassified information in non-federal computing systems. Uh, And what this refers to is basically all these government contractors out there that are working on different government contracts, specifically for the DOD, um, that handle unclassified information uh, need to abide by these controls and apply them in their organization to protect that information. The government wants to ensure that, you know, all these little bits of information out there, while they may not be classified, that they are still um, worthy of being protected. Uh, so NIST 800 was put out as a uh, self-adaptation um, for contractors to basically show that they're compliant, yet not have to... Um, have their compliance be done by a third party. And you mentioned unclassified information. So what does that mean for government contractors? So NIST 800-171 applies specifically to controlled unclassified information. Uh, And this is information or data that is, you know, provided by or created on behalf of a government contract for the DOD, for the government. Uh, that information needs to be specifically uh, controlled and protected um, per the contract that you are awarded. Uh, so for government contractors, that means really identifying what kind of data and information that you or your organization may be handling, storing, or processing, or creating on behalf of the government. 
contract and making sure that the NIST 800-171 controls are applied um, you know, correctly to protect that information. So CUI is data that needs protected. So if I'm a contractor, then how do I know what CUI is? So that's the million dollar question right now. Uh, the CUI um, infrastructure is still somewhat in flux. Um, government contractors uh, have not seen that much the actual term or the heading CUI on a lot of information. The DOD is still in the process of setting up their own internal CUI organization that will identify and mark CUI and you know relay that down through the contracts. So right now, the best thing a government contractor can do would be to you know uh, communicate with their contracting officer and start to talk to them about what CUI might be you know created, stored, processed, or handled through that government contract because they're going to be the best resource to really tell you what is CUI that you may have or may be handling. Because right now, uh, it hasn't been used previously. This is a new thing. Um, and so it's really hard for government contractors to go back retroactively and try to figure out what they have already been doing that might be you know, considered CUI. Uh, another good resource too is the archives um, agency or the uh, archives um, organization within the government, they have all kinds of categorization of what types of information might be considered CUI. Uh, that's a good starting point to try to figure out, you know, your, your business, your, you know, uh, service or um, products that you supply to the government, would they fall underneath those categories? Um, that still doesn't tell you whether specifically what information is CUI, but it's a good starting point. But really, you know, talking to your your contracting officer and really getting, you know, having that conversation with them is the best place to start right now. You often hear NIST 800-171 and CMMC grouped together. Um, why are they grouped together and what's the difference between those two? Yeah, so CMMC is basically like the next iteration of NIST 800-171. So when NIST 800-171 was first introduced, uh, it was a requirement for defense contractors, but not a requirement to necessarily report their, their uh, compliance status or to have a third party come in and uh, evaluate them. So there wasn't really any strict um, rules around a company's compliance, whether they were meeting it or not. Uh, CMMC changed that because obviously they realized over time that that was not the best approach and that they needed to make sure that third party was kind of come in and um, prove the compliance for a company that they were actually following the controls and implementing the way that they said they were going to implement them. So CMMC uh, measures a company's you know, maturity. Um, it really stands for cybersecurity maturity model. Um, and the difference between NIST 800-171 and CMMC is uh, CMMC has the same controls as NIST 800-171. There's 110 controls for NIST. Uh, CMMC at level three has 130, which is 110 of the NIST ones plus an additional 20. Um, and so the another difference there is that the CMMC it has a lot more requirements when you read the verbiage of the controls for uh, more documentation around plans, processes, procedures, budgeting. Um, to really prove a company's maturity uh, in their cybersecurity program. Um, and so, you know, companies need to be looking at CMMC because that's now the next thing coming down the road here. 
um, the CMMC AB, the board has put out a timeline. Um, they're currently working on some provisional contracts to you know, certify those um, contractors at a certain level for CMMC. Um, and so, you know, getting NIST 800-171 and getting your compliance for that in order um, is going to really help you out to then just be able to switch to the additional 20 controls and really build on your compliance as far as maturity of your organization and your, your cybersecurity. And if CMMC is the new standard for compliance, then where does that leave NIST 800-171 and why are we still talking about it? Yeah, so uh, NIST 800-171 is still relevant now. Um, last year, the uh, DOD put out an interim rule, DFARS interim rule, um, that was stipulated that all defense contractors had to have a uh, SBRS score in the database, um, which that score is derived from the NIST 800-171 controls of which ones have been implemented and which ones haven't, which gives you a calculation of a score. Um, and what they stipulated was that if you wanted to be awarded, a company wanted to be awarded a contract after November 30th, they would absolutely have to have a score inputted into the SBRS database. Uh, if you do not have a score in the database, you will not be awarded a contract. Um, the reason for that is to probably potentially get, you know, companies in gear to make sure that they are starting on their NIST compliance, um, that they have POAMs and uh, milestones that they can, you know, figure out how to gain their compliance so that when NIST CMMC um, officially rolls out, companies aren't just left way behind and realizing that they have not done anything. So the real key right now for any defense contractor that if you have not started on your NIST 171 compliance, now is the time to start um, because waiting until CMMC is just not the best approach. So then how do you recommend just getting started? So, yeah, there's a number of things um, that will help a company get started and be successful with, you know, assessing their NIST 171 compliance. Um, we'll really put them on the right road for CMMC as well. So uh, one of the first big things is you need a timeline. Um, you need to understand how long it's going to take you to um, do a self-assessment um, and then also, too, to gain 100% compliance because there's going to be two parts. There's going to be you know, understanding what you have done, what's completed, what's implemented, but then you need to be able to follow up and finish out everything that's not implemented already. So what kind of key status points are you usually looking to include in a timeline? I think a timeline in this case, like you really want to do a, an initial first assessment sweep through the controls and I'd really identify what's implemented and what's not. After that, it really comes down to the POAMs um, you know, planned action and milestones of, you know, the additional projects and implementations that you're going to need to do to get to 100% with NIST 800-171 and really have all of those 110 controls implemented. So the better you can be realistic and really plan out what projects and what implementations you can realistically accomplish, the more successful the organization is going to be. And how rigid and flexible do you recommend when establishing these status points? You know, it, it really takes a lot of buy-in um, from different stakeholders to make sure these things get done. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's going to be some, you know, project management skills that are going to be required here. Someone's going to need to head this up and they're going to need to you know, hold people accountable to things that, you know, are, you know, that person's responsibility. And that's another key aspect too is, you know, understanding who is responsible for what. So as far as timelines, you know, uh, pick realistic dates, try to hold people to them, 
but realize that things are, might have to flex, you know, so there's going to have to be a little bit of flexibility if things aren't reached. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have any tips of what you've seen for better project management? I think the really one of the biggest keys for project management is really having a designated person that this is their responsibility. Um, and then also delegating out, you know, different aspects of the controls, you know, some things may apply to different people within an organization. Um, so really, you know, delegating that to those people that they need to get this done and then holding them accountable for that. Is there usually a person who is that point person um, that's common? It depends on the organization. You know, some organizations are very large and have lots of resources and people to, you know, have this. Um, but a lot of defense contractors are very small businesses, you know, so you have a lot of, you know, very few people that wear a lot of different hats. Um, the key is, you know, whoever is going to take it on, whether that's the owner of the business or whether it's someone that they delegate, um, as long as they understand the responsibility they have and know what the expectation is to get it done, that's the key. Mm -hmm. um, is this where like outsourcing could be a good idea too? Uh, it can be, uh, you can definitely get a lot of assistance from an outside consultant, um, you know, especially, you know, depending on your familiarity with NIST 800-171 and compliance in general, if this isn't something that the organization has really had to do before, then yes, bring it in, you know, an outside, you know, resource to really help you kind of get your ducks in order and, you know, really explain what you need to do and, and really, you know, highlight a path forward to gain compliance is, is definitely a good recommendation. Yeah, definitely. Um, so covering timeline and getting that point person, um, kind of taking a step back, um, as far as like funding goes, any tips or best practices, uh, to inform management on the importance of this? Yeah. So, you know, in any situation where there's a project that needs to be accomplished, you need buy-in from management to get that done. Uh, and funding is definitely a key part of that. You know, it takes time, money, and resources to, you know, do a self-assessment, then also to, you know, accomplish those POAMs and get on top of them and then, you know, get to hundred percent compliance. So yeah, having, you know, the buy-in for management and funding is definitely key. Um, so, you know, when it comes to, you know, doing a self-assessment and then identifying where the shortfalls, where the gaps are, um, understanding what it's going to take to get, you know, that control implemented is key and understanding what it's going to cost, you know, um, the more concrete, you know, um, cost that you can identify, the more realistic that management's going to improve it if they really understand what, what it's going to gain them and also to how much is a realistic cost. And along the similar lines of um, just making sure that management is ready to conduct a risk assessment, is this something that can be done internally or why would, or why not would you recommend doing so? Yeah. So, you know, a risk assessment is a, is a good key point to bring up, um, you know, a lot of the controls are security related controls and you know to really effectively apply security controls you really need to understand the risks um, about on the risks on assets and then that will help guide you to apply the appropriate security controls um, based on risk there is a risk assessment component of nist 800-171 and cmmc so you're going to have to have done a risk assessment and regularly do them you know whether it's on an annual basis or a biannual basis um, to ensure that you understand what the risks are to your assets and are applying the appropriate security controls to those. So management needs to understand that that's going to involve, it's going to have to involve management to help identify what's the important assets, what are the potential risks, um, and then how to apply the best possible security controls to reduce risk.
And this relates back to what we were discussing earlier with CUI. Um, so obviously risk assessments are super important to the NIST 800-171 and CMMC. So how do those two relate together? Yeah, so um, CUI is, you know, controlled unclassified information, which, you know, information or data can be considered an asset. When you generally do a risk assessment, you identify assets, and then you identify threats to those assets um, to determine what the risk is. Uh, so, you know, doing a risk assessment and identifying the threats to identify the risk and then apply the appropriate security controls um, helps to, you know, follow that path, that methodology to apply the appropriate controls. Um, so understanding the CUI in your organization and what CUI is you, that you are handling, where you are storing it, who is processing it, what systems is a pass through um, is a pretty big um, first step too as well. You can't apply the appropriate controls if you don't know where the information is or where the data rests. Um, so understanding that CUI in your organization is a, is a big key factor as well to, to you know, accomplish NIST IO and 171 compliance and CMMC. So an organization is going to need to uh, have some pol policies and procedures around how CUI and sensitive data is handled within their organization. You know, policies and procedures are a big part of NIST and CMMC compliance. Um, and that's, that's a big lift for a lot of companies that are smaller and maybe don't have those sorts of things already sorted out. Um, so, you know, where technical controls are implemented, and if you look at NIST and CMMC, you know, a lot of people just assume it's a lot of technical IT-related controls, which a good part of it is, but really a big secondary part of that is the policies and procedures that dictate how these things are implemented. Um, and that's a big part of NIST and especially CMMC. And so organizations are going to need to make sure that they have a mature set of policies and procedures that really showcase what the expectation is from management on how you know information and things are protected and then also the procedures to back that up on how those things are actually done on a day-to-day -day basis do you have an example of one of those non-technical controls absolutely uh so one of the controls in this day hunt once the other one and in cmmc um specifically refers to you know an onboarding of a new employee um, you know, are you, are you verifying that that person is who they say they are? Are you verifying that they, um, are authorized to access, you know, computer systems and data and generally that, you know, you're going to have an HR process for onboarding people, you know, uh, an interview is conducted, um, management interviews that person, they give the go ahead, the person gets hired, that gets moved on to HR, HR does start to do the onboarding and does background checks and all that. Um, so, you know, that's one of those things where that's not a technical control, but that is a procedure that you're going to need to prove that you follow and you're going to, that's going to be something that has to be documented, that has to be written down, um, to show and have evidence of that. Um, and that's, you know, that's a natural one for most companies, but a lot of these other controls for small businesses, that's where a lot of, um, effort needs to be put in because what we're hearing out of the CMMC pilot programs right now, the, those contracts that they decide to test, you know, initially pilot CMMC compliances that, you know, documentation is what's really lacking for a lot of businesses. Um, and that's where a lot of effort's going to need to be put in to, to have those policies and procedures that, you know, are, are not normally documented for a small business because it's all just word of mouth or people just don't have the time to, you know, do all that paperwork. Um, and that's a, that's a big lift for small businesses to write all that stuff out, um, have everything documented about how they do everything, you know, day-to-day -day operations and all that stuff. Um, and that could be a good opportunity for a company to bring in an outside 
you know, resource to help them with all that documentation to really kind of tie all this stuff together, all the controls together into policies and procedures, which they can actually leverage on a day-to-day basis. And that makes sense for them. Yeah. And I think that's a great transition to what our next episode is actually going to be, which is diving into that role of what documentation plays into being NIST and CMMC compliant. Um, So stay tuned for that. But for now, Josh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Thanks uh, for all of our listeners and uh, stay tuned for next episode going over that documentation uh, compliance. Thank you for listening to Cybersecurity Magnified. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you're up to date with our newest episodes. And if you found this episode helpful, share it on social media. Braxton Grant is an experienced cybersecurity solution provider with over 20 years of experience in the government and commercial space. To learn more about us, visit braxtongrant.com or find us on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening.